Yeah. Um, right, turn in your Bibles, and then I'll speak a while to Ezra chapter 4, reading from verse 24. If you haven't been, we are so far in this little mini-series. It is about the exiles returning. I'm not going to give you the hell background. Time does not allow that, okay? So the exiles are returning to Jerusalem, and they're about to go about the work of building the Lord's temple. The altar of the Lord was instituted first, a place of sacrifice. We spoke on how the church coming back to the place of the blood, the sacrifice, salvation through Christ alone. It's a place of redemption. God had stirred our heart for the altar. We spoke last week as well about different things. As soon as the work starts, as soon as people start preaching, Christ, salvation, the power of the cross. I think it was about a heavy message last week. I don't like speaking about the enemy or the work of the enemy. I'd rather just speak about Jesus and His work. But yeah, if you don't speak about these certain things, then the enemy can come in and blind side us. And so we spoke about how never surrender your brick so easily. They started a building, and then, as you see in chapters 4 and 5, opposition, opposition, opposition. Discouragement came in, and the enemy had hired people to frustrate the work. And sometimes people walk away from the Lord simply out of sheer frustration. And then a letter was sent for the king, political pressure. They forgot Father King was King Jesus, and through political pressure, it says on verse 24, so the work on the, a very sad verse, so their hearts started to get stirred, they came back, they fell in love with the Lord again, Yahweh. It could be seen as your work or Christ's work in your life. You get saved, your heart gets stirred, but sometimes it feels as though something happens in the work stops. It gets delayed. And you remember the joy of your salvation, and you remember when you first got saved, and Ahim was amazing, and you walked through these doors, and Abdi was amazing, and everybody was lovely, and everybody was kind, and then something happens, months, years, doing the line, and you think, if it happened, if it paused, the work of the temple, a God in Jerusalem had stopped that our hearts that were so glad just to be in God's presence and come to His house. If it happened to that, you're so excited to get up in the morning and a Sunday morning and through the week, devotional time. And so as we go through life and you kind of, God is on the move and He's on the move in my life and I'm feeling the joy of His presence. Other times we plateau and we think, oh, here's a work stopped. Here's a work stopped. And at this point, the work had stopped. They surrendered their brick. They put it aside. They went and did their end thing. It remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. But this wasn't their temple or their city they were rebuilding. This was God's temple, God's altar, and God's city. So when God is on the throne, and God is for His church, and God is for His people, the hindrance of the work, the stopping of the work, cannot be the end of the story. And at the end of the service last week, we landed it by saying we had an initial revival, and we'll look back at glory days, but praise God, the psalmist says, revive us again, O Lord, that we can be not just revived once, 
we can be revived again. You know, so the world might look at the church as some weakling, and we're losing our voice, and we're losing us on the next thing. God can stir up people again. All hope is not gone. God is a God of hope. So we've got to look at us, right? So the work has stopped. It stopped for 15 years. So it's 15 seasons, 15 summers, 15 winters. There was not one brick put on top of another. Today we initiate in the divine presence of God, a place of sacrifice and worship. Stopped. Ezra chapter 5. At that time, the prophets Haggai. Haggai, I think it's a, and I studied this too good, I think it's a Scottish name. The, the singular is Haggis, the Scottish wild animal, the plural I think is Haggai. Right, so at that time, the prophet Haggai, Scottish lad, and Zechariah, son of Edu, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Next verse. Zerubbabel, son of Sheltel, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, responded to the prophetic word by starting again to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them and helped them. Nothing happened for 15 years until God sent a Haggai and a Zechariah to prophesy. And it says, they start to rebuild again. And the work went on. If you go forward to Ezra chapter 6, 13 and 14, 13 to 16, sorry. I'm just laying a foundation just now, and then we'll go for this, okay? So then let us go back and forth, getting permission for the king. So it started again through the prophet Haggai, the word of the Lord, and Zechariah. Tetanai, governor of the province west of the Euphrates River, and Shethar Bozenai and their colleagues complied at once with the command of King Darius. The Jewish elders continued their work. It was stopped. The work of the Lord was stopped, and then it started again. They were greatly encouraged, greatly encouraged by the preaching of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edu. The prophets started to preach. If the church of Christ needs anything, it's prophets starting to preach. What do I mean by that? The prophets heard the Word of God and simply declared the Word of God. Get on with the mission. This is the Word of God. Pastoral preaching can sometimes look like you're expecting me to say some funny stories about my kids, give you a laugh with some spiritual points. Funny stories about my kids, it sounds hard being pastor's kids, I guess, they get other stories. And they're going to save you. They're going to cause you to feast on the Word of God. It's not going to raise you a level in Christ. What the church needs is for pastors, prophets, forever opens up this book. They have life out with this, or intimacy, we Christ to declare, this is God's Word. I'm here, now make you smile, now tell you some funny stories, now encourage you or just 
smooth over some difficult things of the gospel. We are here to proclaim God's Word and encourage you to get closer to Jesus so that you feel a stirring in your heart, in your temple, that you want to know this God that is being preached through His Word. Anyway, encouraged by the preachers to the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edu, the temple was finally finished as had been commanded by the God of Israel and decreed by Cyrus Darius, Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. The temple was completed on March the 12th. During the sixth year of King Darius's reign, and the temple was then dedicated with great joy. Right, let's say a few things. The temple stopped, okay? Now one brick in front of another, this place was supposed to be a habitation of God. It stopped for 15 years until two guys turned up, Haggai, Zechariah, they preached and prophesied to encourage the people, and then the work of God continued, and then it was completed. For the God who began a good work in you, well fit, He will complete it. The God, it's not over yet. You think it's over, and your glory days are behind you. Well, I'm here to tell you, God says, it's not over Yet, you've got discouraged, you've got fed up, you've plateaued, you've turned your eyes off of Jesus on the other things, and God says, it's not over yet. It's not your work, it's not the work of personalities, it's His work in His temple. A wonderful Haggai and Zechariah said, Bible scholars in here, if only we had a record well, if it Haggai and Zechariah, the message they carried, because there was something that they said that caused the whole people, they had stopped laying bricks to start building again unto completion. If only there was a few books in the Bible that Haggai wrote one and Zechariah wrote another, and that would tell us how these two people got a whole nation of exiles to listen, ignore the king's decree, ignore their own discouragement, and say, we are going to start building again. It's not over yet. Well, I'm here to tell you, God's a good God. And he's given us a book, God Haggai, written by Haggai. He's given us a book of Zechariah. Two books telling us not everything that they said, but the main message that revived this exile to start to continue and to complete the work. We'll take a look at fit this uh, Haggai chapter one. You miss so far? It's now hour for you. You might think your glory days are behind you, but fit, you read the account, I'm not gonna read the hell account. The latter rain was always supposed to outshine the former rain. The latter temple that was to carry the glory was always supposed to outstrip the former glory. You think your glory days and your stories are behind you, but God says it's never yet. I've got something new to do in your life, something fresh, something powerful. Let's see if it stirred them up. 
Ezra gives you the story, the action of what happened. The prophets give you the spirit. Ezra, story, prophets, spirit. What you see in Ezra is a story. They got discouraged. The king gets a decree to stop building. They stop building. What we've got to find out through Haggai is this is for God thought about that moment that they stopped. This is what the Spirit would say. Haggai chapter 1. We've got to read a few verses. On August the 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message to the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. What a privileged position we are in. We are getting people's stories of how they brought revival to exiles that were completely fed up and stopped building. This is like liquid gold. Governor of Judah and Jeshua and Jehazadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies has got to say about stopping building. The people are saying, hold on a minute, I thought they stopped because they were discouraged. I thought they stopped because they got fed up. I thought they stopped because the king wrote a letter. But this is for God's scene. The people are saying, the time has not yet come, come to rebuild the house of the Lord. This was now people that turned their back on God and rebelled and backslid completely. That happens to hinder the work of the Lord. This was near the exiles. God says, this is what you thought. You got spiritual. You walked away and says, the, the temple will be rebuilt. Revival will happen. Just near us. There will be a time, but just near just new. There will be a moment that people will start putting bricks and tapping in their sacrifices in a habitation of the Lord. But there are still spiritual people that just didn't think they could do it. Got too tough. Do you ken that the original temple that was built through Solomon took 80 to 90,000 men, 20 years to build it? people came for, ah, oh, oh, the queen of Sheba came. It's like this place is so magnificent, so dripping with gold, silver, and jewels. She looked at the temple and thought, there must be a God because that's so perfect that you have built. The people that got involved, tradesmen for our finest adjoiners, carpenters, no sparkies, because I, I think I was lights are on thing in them days, and I can't find that tradesman was there. They put, they were qualified, they did, they built a place that looked like it was fitting to carry the presence of God. Seventy years as people had been in exile, and the young priests then were now really old, and they came back, they had been enslaved. They hadn't become tradesmen, they were disqualified, they were weak, they were really smart in number. And they got an initial excitement, we can do this. We can live for Jesus. Nothing's got to stop us. And then as they started to look, it says that even the older priests began to weep because it didn't look like fit used to, and the younger people got initially frantic because they was just new born again and they was excited, excited in the noise between the two mingled 
but then months got past and it's just, this job's too big. The, the temple will be built is just near now, just near by us. We'll maybe have to do our own thing until we get stronger. We'll build our own houses until we multiply and get greater. We'll maybe come back to this one day. The Lord's temple will be built just, it's just near yet. It's just near yet. It's just near yet. Does somebody find living for Jesus challenging? Challenging. Does somebody find living for Jesus challenging? I mean, trying to do this job would be like me trying to rebuild the Twin Towers. It's just impossible. These exiles, untrained, small number, that heard the stories at the dedication of the temple and People found in the presence, they wanted something to happen, but they just did not see it happening by them or through them. Living for Jesus. Some of the things that Jesus says, expects us to do. Okay, first finds, a few people nodding their head, living for Jesus, initial born again excitement, and then you read, let me read a few things that Jesus wants us to today. You cannot serve both God or money. You will hate the one and love the other. It's a challenge. Love your enemies. And they find that a challenge. Pray for them that persecute you. Somebody persecutes you, pray for them. And they find that a challenge. Love your neighbor as yourself. If someone strikes you on one cheek, Jesus said, turn the other cheek and offer them that one. Somebody hits you here? Okay. You get to hit my ear as well. But then I get, I've got two cheeks, you've got two chances, then I'm coming for you. No, that's not the spirit. Why did Je Jesus was a great pacifist? Jesus saying us, the chaos is to stop with you. That if somebody hits you, that's chaos. If you hit them back, you're adding the wave of chaos continues. The wave of chaos is got to stop with God's people. If somebody's bad to you, do good things to them. Because the chaos has got to stop with you. The badness has got to stop with you. If somebody strikes you on the cheek or from the other end, because it's got to stop with you. We are peacemakers. Is that a challenge for anybody in here? Forgive, Jesus says, as I have forgiven you. How has Christ forgiven you? Utterly and completely at the point of you saying, sorry. And Jesus says, with the forgiveness I have for you, you forgive other people. How is my heart supposed to be full or the same forgiveness, or this Christ. Probably I've seen. Be perfect, therefore, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. You are good at that, aren't you? I'd have found the Jesus life a challenge, but then I stoned my gut. I'd have found that a challenge. I find it utterly impossible.
from start to finish. It's impossible. I find myself like an exile trying to build a Solomon's temple. Maybe I'll do it. But the time's near now. Because I'm so weak. This, they were spiritual people. The time of the Lord, it will happen just near through me. It's too big. God comes and says, if you read the story, I'll never read it, the hell passage in chapter 1. He says, look what's happening. Everything you're trying is failing. The harvest that you want is gone. You're spending money, but you've got big pockets. You want some wine and you're drinking and you're becoming thirstier than you was before. He's saying, that's your heart without doing God's will and God's purpose by God's presence. It's just not working out for you. You have decided to stop building and I've given you a period for you to find out it's not working for you. Living without Jesus for an extended period of time, doesn't matter how much people will drive about in fancy cars and hear loads of money in their heart, I guarantee it's going to get work for you. Because there was nothing like the peace and presence and joy that Jesus gives us, Ken, and they are living for him, right with him. And I'm speaking as somebody that has yet perfected it. I've walked through a lot of these things and even more. Something that Christ gives you that nothing else can give you. So that was a the problem. They thought, okay, it's too big. This was what Jesus was to say through Haggai in verse 12. This is the good news. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, son of Jehozadak, remember this, it's not over for you. The high priest and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. Next verse. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, this was God's solution to the problem or you not thinking you're good enough. This is God's word to a people that have laid their bricks, their mortar aside, and it seems to be a pause in your life. This is what God would remind you of this morning. The Lord's messenger gave the people, this was the message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. The first thing I want to say to you, if you feel as though there's been a pause, if you feel as though you're very dry and the work of the Lord has stopped in your life, the first thing I want to remind you all is that the Lord, your God, is still with you. The Lord your God, the majestic one who reigns supreme, still with you. You think you're not good enough. You think you're not wise enough. You think there'll be a time that you'll feel the fire of God and it'll be off and the kids are up and out. I'll have a quiet time. When I change careers, when I change jobs, when I get involved with the right ministry, when that time comes, then the rebuilding will start. And you feel distant. 
God says, I'm still with you. It's not too late for you. The Lord is still with you. He has never taken his eyes off you even for a moment. But you became anxious, you became discouraged, you became frustrated. God says, neither have I left you, neither have I forsaken you. Do you not realize that when you got saved and turned to the Lord initially, that He put within you the imperishable seed, the seed of Christ. And He watches over His work in season and out a season. Are your unforgiveness? The Lord has not left you. He's still with you. Your doubts, the Lord's with you. You used to come every week, now you're here every so often. The Lord's still with you. He's still with you. You feel as though you've left him and you've knocked him off the throne. God says, through it all, I'm still with you. It's not too late for you. The temple lay in ruins, the people were ruined. For 15 years, they stopped, bowed in the temple. They thought a time would come, but it was not yet upon them. They were well-meaning people. They had a great history. They did their own thing. They built their own apartments and built their own bungalows. They lived for themselves for 15 years. God's chosen people, he'd already told them to build. They did absolutely nothing, no sacrifices, no devotion, never opened up the Word of God in 15 years. And the first thing he says to the prophet Haggai, this is what my people are saying, not yet now, I'm saying now. Because I'm with them. The Lord is with you. It's the most simplest, simplest message of the gospel. Christ Emmanuel, he is with you. The most simplest of truths is sometimes the most easiest things to forget when you're gone through stuff. And we get mixed up in the big doctrines and to be theologically sound and we forget that as we walk through valleys, God is with you. You think, but that's Christ's life is too big. So incapable. How am I supposed to love? The temple's too big. And I'm too weak. But God would remind you, He's with you. He's with you. He's with you. His promise to be with you by His presence. And I wonder how it felt to the people just to hear that the Lord, Yahweh, the majestic one, creator of heaven and earth, was still with them. Lastly, we'll turn to Zechariah chapter 4, one of my most favorite verses in the Bible, right good Pentecostal verse. I want to tell you something. It's one thing being part of a Pentecostal denomination, another thing being a Pentecostal person. And God would hear us to be reminded that He's with us. But to also can fit is to be empowered by him. Does the Christ life look challenging? No, 
it's impossible. Does the building of the temple look challenging to them? No, it looked impossible. And praise God, he sent a prophet Haggai and Zechariah, and we have a record to say exactly what they said, the message that came forth. Zechariah 1 to 3 is like a messianic chapter. It speaks a lot about the second coming of Christ. Chapter 4 is the message Zechariah gave to the people. I'll read for verse 6. Chapter 4, verse 6. Then he says to me, if you're not underlining, highlighting your Bible, highlight, it, highlight this. If you want to memorize a verse through the week, memorize this. Then he says to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was God's chosen vehicle that was listening to the prophets, and he was going to be the main dude to lead him and to build the temple. It is not by force. Oh, you think you're too weak. God says, I agree with you. It is not by force. It's not because you feel strong. It's not because you feel qualified enough or a biblical student enough that will perform the rebuilding work of the temple. It is not by force. It's not because you've been to the jam and you're feeling healthy. You're feeling up to the fight again. You're feeling as though you're in a good season. It's not by force. Not by your strength. It's not because of you. It's not because you feel like a good Christian. It's not because you can fulfill the moralistic duties and you're a fine person. God says, that's not how the temple is truly built. That might get you some results. The one that gets you feet are looking for. Not by force, not by strength, but by my spirit. But by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You think it's an impossible task for you to get saved, continue to be saved, and to die saved. God says, I've got good news for you. I'm an impossible God. I'm a God of the impossible. And it's not because of you that the temple will be built and the glory will come and people will get saved and people will get healed and delivered and people will come under the power of God once again. It's not because of you. It's because of my spirit, says the Lord. It's because of He moves by the divine presence. It's the truth of the Gospels. Jesus, human like us, gave up everything and became truly available to God. He taught well in parables and people listened because he taught as one that carried an authority. Every action you see Jesus doing was on the realm of the possible or the impossible. I'll maybe just wait here until I get a response. Okay, one of you walked on water recently. One of you opened the eyes of the blind recently. One of you turned water into wine recently. One of you went to the cemetery and called a dead man to live again recently or ever. What does the Gospels tell us about Jesus? He moves in the power of the impossible. It's not over for you. For God is a God of the impossible.
And he wants the church to be alive again, to know that God is with them again, that He's never ever left them, and that His person is with Him, is with us, the presence is with us, but the power of Christ is with us. To be baptized in the Holy Ghost with fire and with power. But I was filled with the Holy Spirit in a gospel meeting doing in Sunderland in 1985, and it was so amazing with Tina Bustiger. The Bible didn't say, be historically filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continually, continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do I need a continual fill of the Holy Spirit? Because I continually leak, I continually do stuff. And I need a continual filling. It's not enough for me to say I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in Teen Challenge in 2002. I spoke in tongues a few times, and if I really tried, I could speak in tongues again. But God would say, not by might, not by strength. Revisit again the old wells of power. 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 Wait, and you will receive. Ne fan education, ne mere qualifications, ne feel good factor, ne wait, and you'll get good services when you come on a Sunday. Wait, and you will receive. Wait, and you will receive. Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Who are weak, you who feel as though that Christ's life is impossible, God will come upon you, engage in your life, and you will become available and realize that God is a God of power. My prayer for us as a church is that we would know God's not finished with us yet. The world is looking at the church. They probably see a weak church, a failing church, a diminishing church. That temple is broken and destroyed. It once looked brilliant in a nation. God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Do not forget the majestic God that created the heavens and the earth is we his people. He's we, he's we, he's we, he's we, he's we is not over yet. Not only am I we, but the true building of the temple will be through the power of the Holy Spirit, through a people, through a weak people that will recognize the need for power. I'll end with us, and I'll say a few things. Usually I say an end. Please give me a grace. If I say an end, probably about seven minutes, seven minutes still to go, because if I say an end, you'll be like, oh, dinner time, get, I'll get him for some of the football and uh, maybe get a bite to eat, then do the baptisms at three o'clock, Okay. Just a few minutes left. Because look, look at what it says. And we sung about us in the second song. Not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit. I pray that we're not just a Pentecostal church. By denomination, we're a Pentecostal people. We're a Pentecostal people that believe in the power of Pentecost, that change lives, the power of God is for the day. I would tell you, if you had a members meet in the morning, and you are decided that we don't really believe God's presence is for the day, and we don't really believe in His power anymore, we would have laughed at I wouldn't bother coming to your Sunday service. 
I'd be going, and I'd encourage each one of you to not come to your own Sunday service, okay? Because God is with you. We've got to believe that as a church. We've got to believe His power is available. If I didn't believe that, that was the foundation in the movement of the revival that built the temple to completion. I'm looking for a complete, I'm not looking for to give up halfway on. I'm looking to complete something that God has started here. Revive us, oh God. The power of the Holy Spirit. Never ever lose sight of that. Whether I'm here next week or near next week, the people that's left, make a promise. Always believe that God is here and His power is available to lay hands on the sick that they might recover, to open the eyes of the blind, to see miracles, physical miracles, and praise God, I think, even greater as I get all and grumpier, spiritual miracles, spiritual blind eyes opening, spiritual deaf ears that couldn't hear the word of the Lord before, suddenly are hearing and reading God's word and getting fed. Fix it to the lintels of the doors, right? Okay, moving on. Listen to this, verse 7, nothing if you get the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God upon your life, nothing, not even a mighty mountain. If you're a mountain in your life, many mountains, okay? Not even a... The mountain for the people was the letter for the king and their end discouragement. That was the mountain. But not even a mighty mountain will stand in Zerubbabel's way. This is a guy that knows that God's we am. It knows that there's a power greater than himself pushing him along. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Right, that's in the NLT. There's a little star in my NLT that says there's something else that could be written for, may God bless it, may God bless it. When I read Dune, it simply means as literally now, this could be found in Philippians in the New Covenant, okay? Literally, they shouted this, grace, grace to it. Not just God bless it. Grace, grace to it. The power of the Holy Spirit was going to move through Zerubbabel. He's going to lay the foundation stone. He's going to lead the people to build. And it says, Zerubbabel, my servant, well put the finishing stone on the temple. And from the people, they will declare, grace. Grace, not through our effort. Grace. Read Galatians. The enemy of grace is not unbelief. It's law. Law is self-effort. The people didn't they shout, we've done it. Look at us. We've got big arms. We're carpenters. We're self-trained. We're self-motivated. When the final temple stone went in place, they knew that God was with them. And that the power of God was carrying them along. And they had to shout. The shout of grace. 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 I'm weak. God's strong. Paul never wrote. When I'm weak, God strengthens me, I then become strong. Paul wrote, when I am weak, and I'm strong. I'm as weak the day as I was the day I got saved. And it's only why God will ever be strong in your life. I'm not far better than I was then. There's a sanctifying process we become more like Jesus. Yet I within myself remain weak. Can in the God's a majestic God. Can in the work is insurmountable. 
there's lots of people needing saved in the broch, and Balgar, and St. Gooms, and Rosari, and St. Haven. There's lots of people needing saved. The work of the temple is so massive. How am I supposed to do the work of the Lord and get lots of people saved? How am I supposed to do that? I'm weak. And when I'm weak, God is strong. You never ever get more than being weak in God's eyes. If you remain there, He'll remain strong in your life. God comes, we always sing about God being for us. There's a few scriptures that you don't want to hear. God's against the proud. Your pride, pride is saying I'm strong. He said God comes against the proud but gives grace to the humble. God will come against you for your own good if you are full of pride, and He'll humble you time and time again until you realize when you're weak, you're strong. You haven't got out together. You're a vessel, and He's a treasure. And I'll end with this story. So, Samson, the great warrior, slew the enemy, but then he became blind, and in his absolute weakness, he cried out to God, strengthen me, once again, they ridiculed him. He was in a temple of Dagon, the foreign god that was worshipping and ridiculing him. He put his arms against the, the cart, pillars, and God strengthened him. At his greatest point of weakness, God became so strong in his life. In his greatest point of weakness, he says, that the temple fell and he destroyed more of the work of the enemy and his death never did when he was alive and you get the, the stories of Samson and you get the stories of how he tore lions apart and killed many Philistines but yet in his greatest point of weakness God became so strong again and you get you in the story and I can fire your out in life but if you haven't went through this you might go through this it'll throw God just work in your life is hindered. You need to can. God is for you, and He's willing to empower you. And there may be mountains in your way, but it says that nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before Him. But mountain is it you think stopping you going out for Jesus? If it's a thing that you think is just a hindrance, I don't think God is saying everything, all your problems in life will suddenly disappear. It says that if you, by His Spirit, the mountains will be like a level plain before you. It's like it's flattened. It's like us. You will keep on walking. There will be a mountain. The letter for the king still stood, but they got revived and says, we are just going to keep on going. That mountain goes, it becomes like a level plain and we keep on building because God is with us and He has empowered us. Let's stand in His presence. Grace, grace, grace. The shout of grace. It will become a level plain before Him. I prophesy to you, it's not over for you. Then another message came to me from the Lord. The Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation. He will complete it. It will be done. The God who began our good work in you will complete it. 
Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these, these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. If a foreigner was to come, they would just see a man of God's Zerubbabel starting the work, carrying it on to completion. But fit God seen was a man. The new God was with him. And was open to the power of the Holy Spirit. It was like Zerubbabel and us were just a glove. The kind of glove is near only power. If I was to go like that, it would just flap. If it happens is a life force comes in and it looks alive, but it can move, it remains a glove. See the church of Jesus Christ? People will see what we're doing, we're like the glove. But we are empowered by another, a life-giving, transforming force, Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I can't fall needed to hear that this morning, maybe one, maybe two, maybe a few, maybe all. We've got a prayer reverently and seriously for people to be filled and continually filled with the Holy Spirit. To put ourselves as vessels. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'm speaking to Abdi, the youngest, to the eldest. There's no baby Holy Spirit. There's simply Holy Spirit willing to empower His people. And the first sign, wonder, and miracle will be in as a rubbable's life will be in your life. That God will deal with you so that you are revived, that you will know before you leave here God's former, His empowerment, and be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Christ life that seems impossible. How am I going to forgive as Christ forgives me by a power from on high? How can I love even my enemies? Not because you're reading a book, I'll tell you that. For your power on high. How can you pray for them that persecute you? I'll, I'll tell you the how. I can't really do much for you, we ask. Your power on high. God gives you his heart. How can you through, go through this life and they're loving money and they're getting distracted by what other people get? It's a miracle of God. I'll tell you the how, but it's up to you. We are powerful and high. How can you live in this dry life, this wayward life, being faithful and steadfast before our holy God? The how is Christ doing it through you. Receiving him. Receive your king. Receive your king. Oh, I wish I could be baptized in the Holy Spirit again.
Feel the wind of the Spirit. That's your DNA. And I just want it to be a great history. When I'm now, we need His power now. If you want to respond, simply just hold out your hands to receive grace. Grace. Grace is received by us for a loving, giving God. Grace upon grace. power that liberalism and secularism cannot snuff out grace upon grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. grace I was saved. And through many dangers and toils and snares, I've already come. <laughs> and grace, grace will lead me home. Grace that saved a wretch Grace the day, and a grace that will lead us home. The temple of the Lord will be finished in your life. Grace. And so, Jesus, as we stand in your presence, you know every heart. You know our journeys. You know our innermost being. And we position ourselves as your people. And we've got many rubble stories. And we've got many reasons to down tools. But yet, God, you want the true work of the gospel, a work that is greater than us, to continue. And God would remind us, greater is he is in us through grace. And he that dominates the world and its values. Grace upon grace. You're a good God. You're a gracious God. And you stir our hearts. And we pray for a fresh anointing. A fresh day of God's power in our lives. God, in this place, would you open up blind eyes. People that haven't seen you before would see in the Spirit. They would look upon the old rugged cross and they see two planks of wood. They would see a Savior that was crucified for them to forgive them, to make them anew. Spiritual lives. We pray in Jesus' name for spiritual ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us a people. We pray for the prophetic voice to burst forth Catch us up and scoop us up by our glory. And we would know you are with us. 
You are with us. You are with us. That we would rest in the power of your presence. God, would you stir up the power of Pentecost? That it wouldn't just be good theology. It would be a present reality. Oh, we ask for tongues of fire. Burn, burn, burn. Tongues of fire. There's people did a simple faith prayer for sick people. They would begin to recover before our eyes. People that would be bound and broken and enchained and enslaved by lifelong illnesses and addictions. God, they would come here. And God, they would be set free in a moment. Because you're a majestic, mighty God. I didn't come to save and to seek places or worship or buildings or social media campaigns. You came to save and to seek that which was lost, which was us, your precious, special possession. Empower us, empower us, empower us. Oh, that we wouldn't uh, see revival as historical. Lord, you would quash that voice that says it's too big for you. The job's too big. We would say of that mountain, but why have a big God? He's immovable and yet he likes to move. And Silas silence mountains, squashing them. Help us to keep going, Jesus. Not by our might. Not by our power, but by your Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Let hope be revived again. He is with you. He is with you. He is with you. Let's worship His holy name. We'll take up offerings. We'll gain the store who's our God together. Let's experience the day of his power. In Jesus' name.